major moments in your life, a lot of them are defined by food. And so the power that I have as a chef to write a menu or to create a dish or to serve a dish to someone on an occasion where that that dish or that food is got the potential to stay with them forever. As a chef, you shouldn't underestimate that. Yeah. Let's not paint a picture about how it is going to be to be a chef. You will always work anti-social hours because you work when everyone else wants to socialise. We could do a, the 12-hour long podcast of me start telling stories about what I've seen over the years. But, you know, back then, 25 years ago, if someone wasn't good enough, they were told to fuck off in the middle of service. And that was it. There was no like, oh, let's have a let's have a performance review and let's do it this and blah and blah 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 it was like cutthroat all i've always said is i always want to be the best whether it's it doesn't matter what i do will holland welcome to hospitality insights thank you for accepting my invitation i really appreciate this we're diving into do into this fine dining world uh something that i kind of touch in my career not for a long period of time to be fair but you are a big a big guy in, in in this in this world. So I want to get your insight. Now, how how did you get into hospitality in the first place? Um, so rewind the clock all those years. Um, oh, this is it. Yeah, basically, I've never ever wanted to be anything else um, in my life. Like I've I've always wanted to be a chef. I've always wanted to cook. So I know this sounds a bit kind of I don't know a bit weird, but I think it's like my destiny to do it. You know, some people, they don't know what they want to do, even, you know. Years, years. Years, yeah, even if they do, even if they've come out of university with, you know, and they're super qualified, but they still don't know what they want to do as a career. But yeah, my mum tells an amazing story. Um, This is before I can remember. So this is when I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what my first memory is, but it's before that. So we're talking, I was young. But uh, my mum and dad were lying in bed and it was like 5, 6 a.m., and they could hear me creeping downstairs um, from my bedroom. And then they could hear all this clattering around in the kitchen. And they were like, what the hell is he doing? And I was, I'd gone into the store cupboard and I was mixing flour and water together and rolling it into what I called biscuits. And I rolled them into balls, put them on a baking tray, put them in the oven. The oven was off. <laughs> I stood there. For, it was the first try, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and apparently I kind of stood there. Mum and dad were like peeping around the kitchen door, not knowing... You know, me not knowing that they were there and they were like, what the hell is he doing? And I was making biscuits. And so I don't know, it's like stories that my mum and dad tell me like that. You know, I just I've never wanted to be anything else. So. So, yeah. So that's kind of I mean, I'm not saying that my world into hospitality started then. But what I'm saying is it's from a very young age that I had a love of cooking. And all I wanted to do was play sport do art and cook. I wasn't interested in anything else. I wasn't interested in any academic subjects. I wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, it was... Um, so it yeah. wasn't by chance that you got in hospitality. It was something that you pursue right from the beginning, which to be fair, like, I, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I kind of had the same feeling. Obviously, you know the story with the, with the cookies and everything else because I don't like making sweets. So it's a different, it's a different kind of approach in my situation. Uh, I did well. I left hospitality like five years ago. It was a hard decision because, same as you, I felt like this is it. You know, my mom was a cook, my auntie was a cook. In my family, like same as I found, you know, information about you, which is great because when I get a person like you, you know, which is a bit more public, you know, it's easier to get information. <laughs> so I seen that you in your family, you know, food was 
was uh, highly regarded. You know, it was something like right, uh, very appreciated. So I think it was exactly the same in my situation. And it's interesting to see that we kind of relate to these uh, uh, stories. But I stopped a while back. What made you kind of continue and in, in pursue, you know, in continuously, you know, these, have you ever thought about changing this career, basically? Never, never. It's like, like I said, I, I believe I was born to do it. And I mean, I've worked, I've worked and I do still work bloody hard. Yeah. Um, and I've had some, I've had some amazing times. I've had some shit times. I've had some long, dark days, yeah. long, dark periods of my life of my career but no, it's never 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 crossed my mind to stop like i'm very i'm a very um i'm very dedicated um kind of self motivate i've got a, a high high drive sort of high self motivation drive so i don't need someone to tell me yeah, to do yeah. something i i can tell myself it's to inside do it. yeah, you it's don't inside need someone me. to cheer you up let's yeah, yeah, go yeah. Will, let's go yeah yeah no i'm kind of like you know if i want to do something i'll do it if i want to if if I want to do, you know, if I want to do something, I want to yeah. do it the best. I want to be the fastest. I want to be the best. I'm very kind of like driven like that. Um, and very kind of mentally strong as well. So when I've had those periods of my career and life or where things have happened, whether it's inside work or outside work, where the easiest thing would have been to throw the towel in with work is like, it's never ever crossed my mind to Do you think sport helped you quite a lot in this situation? Because yeah. I feel like, you know, people that do sport, you know, I can't really say this about me, but <laughs> not anymore at least. I'll, I'll probably get back into it now because I feel really bad looking like how how good in, in the, how good a shape you are. But I think like probably sport, yeah, play a big role, right? In yeah, situation yeah. when when it was tough. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's like, like I said, it's when I was younger, I just loved sport. I loved cooking. I loved art. They kind of, for me, they go hand in hand. Um, for me, physical exercise is more about, um, mental strength and physical strength in that, you know, if you can control your mind and if you can make your mind strong enough, then that can override physical pain. So you can, you're, as long as you can tell your mind, control your mind, your mind tells your body to do something. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how it is. Um, but yeah, I can't. I can't imagine doing anything else. Even I, I remember at secondary school when we had like a careers talk and I went into this careers chat and the lady was there and she said, right, what, you know, what, what do you want to do education wise? And I said, I want to leave school. And she was like, oh my God. Okay. Right. <laughs> he wants to leave school. Well, you're not interested in uh, college or A levels or AS levels. I was like, nah, I want to be a chef. I want to get out of here. She was like, okay, right. So career wise, you want to be a chef. Yeah. Uh, second choice, third choice, fourth choice, fifth choice, you know, very kind of like... Yeah. Uh, they try to kind of like get you off track in a way. Yeah. yeah it's like Shafi might not, it probably wasn't regarded as a, and probably even to these days, unfortunately, is not probably seen till to a level. I mean, obviously you got to a level where it's, where it's high standards, but, you know, it's probably not seen as a really uh, strong career to yeah. follow. I think, I think also it was kind of like this school I went to, um, my mum and dad are both teachers, so they were very, um, okay. they were very, um, sure that I went to a good school. It wasn't a private school. It was a, you know, it was a run of the mill secondary school, but it was, you know, it was specifically chosen for me and my sister. And it was very set up that you went to that school cause it had an amazing sixth form and you'd go from school into sixth form and you do your A-levels and then you'd go off into university. So it was very kind of like, um, unheard of that 
you left school after you'd done your GCSEs, you know. Um, but that said, you know, even from that that careers talk of right, what what's your backup option? What's if if you if chefing doesn't work, what's backup? What's number two? What's number three? What's number four? And I told this lady, I said nothing. She just put a line through the whole lot. He said, they said, this kid wants to leave school and he wants to be a chef. And here we are 30 years later, whatever it is, since I left school and I'm still a chef. So, still smashing you know, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm still in touch with my HE teacher from school. So this is a great story as well. It's, uh, I wanted, obviously I wanted to cook, so I, I had to do um, home economics, which meant that I had to spend half the year doing um, textiles and... Uh, knitting and sewing in order to do half of the year of cooking i was prepared to do that i was the only lad in the class you wore pink the uniform when you're in those classes was a pink apron the amount of shit i got from the other boys <laughs> at school because they thought i was gay oh, they well. were like you know they were like yeah, at, the time, being they, at, the, at the time they were like why does this guy want to cook what's wrong with him <laughs> i was there but my he teacher that taught me how to cook i'm still in touch with her now she's in her 90s and when I earned my Michelin star, she dropped me this letter wow. and she said, I'm so proud of you. I always saw something in you. I can still, you know, over her career of being an HE teacher, I taught hundreds, if not thousands of kids. I still remember you. And she actually visited my restaurant. Wow. And it was like... It must have been such an honour for you. It was amazing. It was like, I'm not saying, oh, it was one of the proudest moments of my life, but it was amazing because... And I'm not saying it was her that, you know, this isn't some like eureka moment where she was like, saw me and was like, oh yeah, I'm going to put special attention into that kid. But she had a part to play in it, you know. Um, so yeah, it wasn't like one of the proudest moments of my life, but it was cool that I was like, this is the teacher that, you know, taught me how to cook back then. And believed in you in comparison to probably 90% of the others, which is it's huge, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. But um but yeah, just going back to my parents as well, it's kind of, they, 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 they're retired now, but they were, they were teachers. My dad was a head teacher. So they were very, very kind of, um, they've got aspirations of their children doing the kind of traditional education route. And my sister, I mean, me and my sister are completely different. She's younger than me, but she did A-levels. She went to university. She did amazingly at university. She went off to London, had like mm -hmm. an amazing career so but they were always supportive but they were so nervous about okay you want to be a chef now but in five years time in seven years time ten years time if you don't want to be a chef and you've got absolutely fuck all qualifications what are you going to do you know but career highlights and career moments throughout the way they're just as proud of that as having a, a photo of me stuck on their mantelpiece the day I graduated uni and I was like yeah I, you know I went on the piss for three years and spent <laughs> spent your money <laughs> so it's it, you know yeah. it, it is what it is yeah. but you touched on it as well about the kind of um, appreciation of food in our family when I've said that people think oh, you know you're like a posh kid we we were a working class family it wasn't like, oh, we were tucking into lobster and foie gras each night. It was what I mean by that, the appreciation of food, is we'd go shopping together. We'd On a Saturday morning, me and my dad would go to the greengrocers. We had guinea pigs and we'd ask the greengrocers if they had any bags of outside leaves from cauliflowers we could give to the guinea pigs. We'd go to the butchers. I was like starting to learn about cuts of meat from a young age because we were yeah. shopping properly. And preparing dinner was a family thing. It wasn't like mum did the cooking or dad did the cooking and me and my sister were watching TV. 
we were all in the kitchen chatting about how was your day at work? How was your day at school? What did you do? What did you do? I'm peeling the carrots. My sister's peeling the potatoes. My mum's... Your teamwork. Yeah, it was teamwork. <laughs> the same through to washing, you know, well, eating. We'd always sit at the t- dinner table. But again, I'm talking humble food. I'm talking we, yeah. you'd, we'd make a spaghetti bolognese. You'd make a lasagna, like normal family grub. But you'd sit down as a family. So you'd prepare it together. You'd sit down and have half an hour of family time eating. You'd wash up together. And then you'd go and all do your own thing, whether it was homework, whether it was sod go and play cricket or you know yeah. net nets training whatever it is that's the appreciation of food my me and my sister we never ever ate in front of the television never like i can't remember it ever things like you'd have water with your with your meal you you know mum and dad were like you you, you, you know it, it wasn't like we weren't like punished we weren't like some kid that wasn't allowed treats <laughs> yeah. but if you want to have a Coke, have a Coke after your dinner or have a Coke on the weekend. But with your meal, you drink water so you can appreciate, you know, it's about eating food. It's not about filling up on pop. It's little things like that, you know. And to this day, even stuff like that, it, it resonates with me. So now I've got a daughter, now I'm a father. She doesn't eat in front of the telly. We cook together. We don't cook her and bloody nuggets and chips. So me and my wife have a, yeah. a meal where she eats what we eat. If she doesn't want it, if she doesn't like it, she doesn't, you know, it's yeah. like, it, that's the way it is. I see that in her. That's not me like being some selfish father that I want my daughter to be a chef. Yeah. If she can be what she wants, but family, respect, r- yeah. family strong rules. Values, these, yeah. yeah. Oh, strong values. But, you know, nowadays or you know, I'm talking like some old man nowadays, 10 for the last 10, 15, 20 years, you see people without values. I know? can relate to these. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I feel like the basic stuff, you know, which, well, basically like years back now, people just go off chart. I yeah, know. yeah. We, it, I mean, this isn't while I've been on Jersey. This was in pre um, two jobs ago, but I did some stuff at the local um, secondary school. And it was kind of like motivational talk about careers chats and this and that. And I said, part of that was I said, um, I want some of the kids to come and eat in my restaurant. So for lunch, I invited, I can't remember how it was, how many, six, eight of the kids. I want you to experience like, you know, you, you, you want to be a footballer, you want to play in the Premier League. Okay, why not be a chef and play in the Premier League of being a chef? That's what I do. Come in and see what it's like. The kids, half the kids have never sat at a table to eat a meal because at home they were just watching TV mm. or playing on the PlayStation and trying to eat at the same time or eating a burger and, or, you know, while they're on the run, they didn't know which way a knife and fork went round. Wow. They didn't know. I'm not talking about, they didn't have any etiquette of sitting yeah. at a white tablecloth table. I'm not, again, I'm not being like, yeah, snobby about this. It's like a posh situation. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of the basics. basics, yeah. you know, and that's what I'm talking about is I had that instilled into me. Good family values, especially around food. Um, and again, that's what I love. So that's what resonates with yeah. me. But like I said, to this day, still with my daughter, I do that. So, so yeah, that's kind of, we've gone off piece, but it's important because that's a, it is, uh, yeah. it's a, it's a part of me. That's how it all started. Yeah. Um, yeah. Left school, went to college. Um, hated college because I was good. And that, again, that's not being arrogant. That's just being realistic is back then, was it like cooking related? Is it good college? Yeah. yeah, college you were into yeah. catering college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the problem with that when I was there back then was you had to there was zero entry qualifications to go on to a cooking course. So a lot of dropouts from school would do what I was doing. 
So you had me that I wanted to be a chef. I knew I wanted you to were be a chef. Yeah. But you had to have zero GCSEs to get onto the course that I was doing. So you had a lot of dropouts. That's cool, but they were wasting their time. So I was good by a long way at college. I won chef of the year at college, you know, both years. You know, I've still in touch with my lecturers. They knew I was good, but when I'm bored, I'm cheeky and I'm cocky and I mess about the same as anyone. So my years at college were kind of like, yeah, I learned, but I mean, they were teaching, you know, you'd go through very, uh, very basic stuff. Which yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. Bechamel yeah. sauce. The, I don't know. I mean, I remember one three hour practical lesson was on how to make scrambled egg. I'm there like, Jesus, I was making scrambled egg when I was four years old, cracking yeah. eggs, using a whisk, yeah. allowed to use the hob. Like, do you know what I mean? So it was frustrating time at college, but I needed to do it. But that if I hadn't done college, I wouldn't have had the first introduction into where I, my first job, and that was in a Michelin style kitchen. So um, winning chef of the year in the first year, I get to, I got to cook with um, Paul Rankin, who was the chef on Ready Steady Cook at the time. So again, I was a 16 year old lad cooking with the TV chef of the moment. It was, it was insane. Second year I won chef of the year and the prize was to go and spend a day in a Michelin starred kitchen. And that was with, um, a chef called Gary Jones, who he was moved on to be Raymond Blanc's executive chef of Le Manoir for 20, 25 years. He was in the restaurant that he was in at that time that I went to spend a day with. And in turn, he offered me a job out of college. He was on a mission. He was, you know, it was his first kitchen that he, he won his first Michelin star. He was 20 something late twenties. He was on a mission. Was he really tough in the kitchen? Oh, it was, it was. The standards were probably really high. Oh, the standards were high. Pressure. Pressure, (laughs) everything that went with it. But that was my first insight into a Michelin star kitchen. So we can talk about that now. And like now I'm like, yeah, it's the norm. But you imagine like a a cheeky, cocky college kid who thought he was Mm. the dog's bollocks. Being hit by reality. (laughs) Went into this, went into a Michelin starred kitchen environment. And again, we're talking, this is 25 more years ago where, you know, there was no such thing as a contract. Yeah. Uh, hours. was was through the roof <laughs> it was like you know and i went from like thinking i was like that to like wash you're under you're you're not the level of the chef's shoe you're under the shoe you know but again i had some super hard times super long dark shitty days but it <laughs> never ever ever crossed my mind to to Too quit late. but then staying on the topic with on, on the on the school topic do you think that school is still relevant, you know, for in today's world? Should someone, okay, I know we, we kind of like jumping to this a bit to this too early, but since you are on, on this topic, do you feel like someone starting in this career, should should that person go to, through school or should, should they learn it on the job? Um, the traditionalist in me says just get your ass into a kitchen and 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 start climbing the ladder and work. The new school me says do education. And the reason I say that, and my mind's changed recently, um, as in in the last few years, is I've seen the change in education. Like recently I went to the new Kennevay Secondary School. The cooking facilities in that school are insane. You know, like amazing. So for secondary school aged kids, it's not like, 
you know, they're going and, you know, they, the, the, the facilities and the teachers and the, the, the knowledge and what they're actually doing. I mean, it was like when they had a school production. So, you know, all the kid, the kids that are involved in the school production, whether you want to be a, you know, dancing, singing, lighting or, but, you know, they're putting on an amazing production, but then the kids that are interested in cooking, the teachers have had the, like the, the, the thought process of, well, those kids aren't involved, aren't interested in something to do with the production but they're interested in cooking. So they laid on this incredible canapé party where you've got kids made canapés that I'd be proud to serve in my restaurant. You know, yeah. so it, it, it's things like that. So that's at school level. Then you go into college level and you go, is it relevant? You've got lecturers now that have either been there and done it as chefs, good, good chefs. I mean, even over here at Highlands, one of the lecturers, for example, he's got an incredible background and an incredible career as a chef dominic dom yeah yeah i've done some school here and i know yeah that he's really good he but you look at his cv as a chef amazing yeah it's his decision why he's left that whether it's because of hours or because of whatever it is but he's now passing his knowledge on to the next generation through college yeah. So again, it's not like these aren't stories of like what I'm saying about is you spent three hours learning how to make a bechamel is you're in live service. You know, the the, the um, restaurants at college are open to the public. So me and you can go there and yeah. it's good value. And you're yes, you're you're being practiced on. But, you know, lecturers like Dom are passing on their knowledge to the next generation. So it's kind of education has changed. I think it's important to get the basics and get the grounding. Um, I mean, I'm very, very classically trained. Um, so my style of food now, I still wouldn't say it's like super modern. It's like, it's, it's got modern touches, but it's classic. It's how I teach my chefs these days. You know, I'm, I'm not interested in not making stocks and sauces properly. I'm not interested in getting fillets of fish in. I want to get whole fish mm. in. I want to get whole live shellfish in. I want to teach the guys the basics upwards, proper butchery, proper fishmongery, proper stocks and sauce making, proper, you know, everything. Mm. Um, Do you feel like this is dying? Do you feel like this, this kind of like, even like, you know, a commie chef, you would expect a commie chef, right, to know how to fillet the fish. Do you feel like, you know, more and more, you know, these kind of like skills, which are really basics uh, in like, and the corner source of, of, of a kitchen, you know, are kind of disappearing because, you know, let's say the fishmonger, you know, can provide you with fillets of fish, uh, you know, the butcher, you know, they can give you your, 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 the fillet of beef, you know, ready trained and everything else. You think that kind of disappearing these, do you, do you see these or, or the people you kind of got in touch with, or you have, you, you get into your kitchen, they are, they already know how to do this stuff. I think it's, it depends which way you look at it and, and the environment that you're in is it's disappearing where it needs to disappear because of convenience, because of cost of, you know, like not every business can have 12, 15 chefs where they do everything from scratch. So yeah. they need to buy in chips. They need to, because they can't afford to pay someone to stand there for an hour and peel potatoes and hand cut chips you know it's like right a delivery turns up and there's a bag of chips or do you pay someone to stand there and make the chips same as do you you know are, are you in an environment where you have the budget to fillet the fish as opposed to buy fillets of fish and everything so i think it's kind of like 
we need to be kind of um, sensitive to the environment or the business that you're in. But in my world and the kind of chefs that I want and the chefs that I want to train is they have to have an interest in that. I'm not asking for chefs to come and work for me that are ready, ready made and ready built and they know how to fill it and they know how to do everything is that's, that's my job. That's, that, that, that's, I see that as a massive part of my job. Mm. You know, I take, I take a, a raw hungry chef with the right attitude and it's my job to teach them. You know, and that's the same with me back in the day is I didn't know how to do something until, well, no one knows how to do something until yeah. you're taught it or shown it, yeah. you know? So, uh, so yeah, I think it's kind of like, it's one way, it's one way or the, it's, it's all about the environment that you're in, whether it's a kitchen environment, a mm. restaurant environment, <clears throat> costing, etc. Yeah. Sorry for taking you off track because you're kind of like jumping between, uh, in between the lines, but going back to, uh, being second time, you know, uh, the chef of the year, uh, and then moving into the Michelin star environment and then being hit with that reality. What happened from there on? So basically, um, moving between jobs, I always spent a decent amount of time in jobs, but I was very kind of, um, again, I was very, it's, it's me. I was very driven. I was very hungry. I got bored very quickly. I wanted to learn as much as possible. I wanted to travel at a million miles an hour. So um, basically moving between Michelin-starred kitchens um, to, to learn. Um, Was this all in the UK yeah. or all the UK? All in the UK. Again, my college lecturer, one of them said, you know, you... And again, it was that kind of mentality back then, whenever, you know, 25, 30 years ago of that mentality. But he said, oh, if you want to make it, you've got to go to France. I was like... Why do I need to, you know, again... With so like, many Michelin star places already in the UK, high level. Yeah, I was like, why do you need to go to France to be a decent chef? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, the French are amazing at cooking, but we can cook too here. Let's 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 fly the flag. Yeah. Let's keep it this going it. here. Yeah, keep the pride, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, basically, listen, just, listen, working my bollocks off in Michelin star kitchens and until I got the break. And the break for me was that the... Um, chef owner that I was working with at the time I'd worked for him for three years um, and we had the the we had the conversation I instigated the conversation of it's time for me to go because I was bored I'd outgrown the yeah. kitchen I'd kind of like I couldn't see any what age was it? what was the age uh 25 26 okay. yeah yeah it was it was young I'm telling you when I'm when I say that I was like hungry I mean really hungry yeah yeah, yeah. And he said, I don't want to lose you. So he said, what can I do to keep you? And I said, you buy me a restaurant, like joking. He said, right, we're going to get another restaurant. And so wow. he, he did it. So again, not my money, but... Yeah. Uh, he says a lot about the, the level the level where you're at, you know, at that, at that age, you know, if they were willing to, to yeah. get another restaurant, yeah. that says a lot. Yeah, but we, we, we he, stroke, we set about it. We found a, a restaurant that hadn't even gone on the market it was um it was word of mouth it was uh it was jungle drums it was kind of like this this restaurant's going to be on the market me and him got in a car we drove there we met the chef owner we said we want to buy the restaurant we shook his hand in the kitchen and the, the rest is history and that restaurant that i'm talking about is um the restaurant that i became head chef of um and i opened it i made it my own 
I was involved in everything from interior design to choosing plates to designing the kitchen to obviously writing the menu, recruiting the chefs, sorting out the bin contract, you know, everything. Yeah. I'm talking from the bottom. It was a great up. experience, I guess, to go through, right? It was it was amazing. It was amazing experience. It was amazing doing it so young. It was amazing not doing it with my own money. But that didn't mean that it was unlimited. Mm. Um was still like pressure, I, obviously, yeah. Super amount of pressure. Um, I was given budgets for, I still remember to this day, I was, I was given 15,000 pound budget for the kitchen. And I was like, I thought, wow, that's loads of money. And then I was like, oh, I want a Thermomix. You know, th- that back then Thermomix were just on the scene. I was like, I want a Thermomix. They were like, no, that's a grand. I'm going, right, I've got 15 grand. And they just spent a grand on a liquidizer. I went, I don't want, I, I don't want a Thermomix. So I went to Argos and bought a, a bought a 30 pound, uh, <laughs> smoothie maker and we used to make purees in an Argos blender we used to <laughs> going off here but we we used to burn no, it's all good. We, we used to burn it out uh you know every, I remember, every, I remember. every week we used to burn the blender out yeah. so I'd get a different chef each week would go back to Argos with the same receipt saying oh my mum's going hard on the smoothies at home so uh she's burnt her blender out so can we have another <laughs> come back with another one and we were there you know making the carrot purees pea purees every puree through this little liquidizer because I couldn't afford a thermomix but but listen so that was the that was the restaurant that I am a Michelin star at so this is kind of like setting the scene but so I opened it from scratch um and yeah 18 months after opening it i was awarded a michelin star so um yeah i was under i was 29 i was under 30 um we'd only been open a year and a half there was a lot of eyes on the restaurant definitely um but i wasn't aware of it really because i was kind of like just in this zone of i want to do my thing and i've got my own restaurant and i can cook what the fuck i want and it it was like it was my dream and no one was telling me what to do I had complete freedom it was it was amazing but the day that I thought well something's going on here is we had a table of one in and again I was kind of like listen a table of one's table of one I'm not the sort of chef that you have a table of one and it's like oh my god it might be an inspector I was like look you've got to be consistent across the board yeah yeah, consistent I was like we do what we do and then uh he left and um my restaurant manager came in the kitchen and said the card that he paid with, he looked the name up on it and it was the, um, it was the head of Michelin. Oh. And I was like, whoa, shit. <laughs> like the, if the head of Michelin is eating in your restaurant, then uh, it's serious. So we had an idea that we, well, we obviously had an idea that they were, they were looking at us and they were looking at me and my food. But um, obviously you don't, you know, until, until that hits, and until it's in black and white, um, yeah. it's it's you don't even think about it really. Or I didn't think about it, but it's funny. Um, th- so the year I got my star, it was one of the years that the guide was leaked. So this is, I mean, this is going. Oh, so you knew about it earlier? Well, it, it, this is before before Michelin. Like nowadays, they you know they do their glamorous um, awards presentations, yeah. and you get invited event. to London, and it's a big, huge event. Or you know they do. And you it. know way in advance, right? Because because of that. Well. I mean, if you're invited, yeah. if you're invited by Michelin to go to London, you're not going to say no, or yeah. you're not going to go. Oh, I wonder why I'm being invited. So you kind of know, but back then, again, this is like how we used to find out about Michelin stars. Books, right? Yeah, yeah, we used to go to W. H. Smith's on on publication day and go and buy a Michelin guide, and used to stand in W. H. Smith going through it, going, "Wow!" Here so I that am. so that was what we were expecting to do. 
I still remember, um, of course I remember, and I'm never going to forget this, but I was, I was at home. It was about one o'clock in the morning and my phone started ringing and I was like, who the hell's ringing me at one o'clock in the morning? And it was, uh, again, naming no names, but it was a, a, a very well-known two Michelin star chef in the UK ringing me. And he was like, Will, Will, you've got a Michelin star. And I was like, what, what? I was like, A, why? I mean, and it was like, why are you ringing me? B, how do you know? And I was like, see like what's going on he's like well uh, you've got mission to star you got mission to star it's like what 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 I don't. turns out that the guide had been leaked so that was one of the years and again you can look it back up because it was kind of like again for me it was those years of kind of michelin got leaked and is it going to be leaked or not but it was one of the years it was leaked and someone had got hold of the press release that was going to go yeah um and so Everyone was kind of talking about it. And so he gave me the heads up, but I was like, oh my God. So I went into work the next day and I was like, I can't tell anyone until I've <laughs> seen it in black and white because I, imagine I... It wasn't official in a way, Yeah, it right? wasn't official. Imagine I tell everyone and then he was winding me up or I don't think he was winding me up, but you know, it, it, I was like, so I just went in. So I just had to go in business as usual, poker face, we need to crack on. But I'm sure in back in back of your mind now probably was quite a bit of a Do you know what? I don't I think I was in that in that time of my career and it's that that time of my life and as a head chef and in that restaurant and with that the the level we were operating everything, I don't think I even had time to think about it as we were in and we were like, right, bang, 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 let's go. We've got we've got yeah, prep to do, yeah. we've got lunch service, we've got dinner service. Um, and then, yeah, obviously it came out and it was, yeah. But was that the aim of the restaurant when, when you guys opened, uh, was it the aim was like, okay, this place, you know, is set up in a way that we're going to get a start. We don't know when, but we will get a start. Was that, was that the way it was kind of set up? Do you know what? I don't, I've never, ever, all I've always said is I always want to be the best, whether it's, it, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I'm Whether parents. we start or without, right? With stars, without in life generally, like if I want to, if I, if I'm playing sport, I want to win. If I'm going for a run, I want to be the fastest. If I want to, you know, I'm competitive. Yeah. So if I'm going to cook, I want to be the best. I know that I'm not going to be the best. I'm. I, I personally believe that perfection doesn't exist. So I'm like, but I want to. I want at least I want to know that I've given it my all and I've done my best, even if that in the kind of grand scheme of things, that's not the best compared to other people. Is like I want to be the best. I've never ever said, and it's never gone through my mind. I want to get a Michelin star. It's like, if I get a Michelin star, yeah, I did. It happened. Amazing, you know. And too many people, when they speak to chefs, they say, "Oh, are you going for a star?" What does going for a star mean? It's like you cook. If Michelin come, they come. Some some restaurants don't even get some some. Some restaurants yeah. don't even get inspected by Michelin. Yeah, yeah, you know. Point. But if Michelin come, what are they looking for? Do they like your food, yes or no? Does what you do and your restaurant do and you as a chef, does that fit with their agenda, yes or no? Fair. It's like there's no – Michelin is the, – the beauty at, of Michelin is there's no – it's not in black and white what you have to do. It's not written, there's not, mm. it's not tick boxes. It's not like if you do this, 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 and this, you will get a star. If you do this, 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 and this, you get two stars. If you do this, this, and this, you get three stars. Yeah. There's none of that. Yeah. It's, it's. I mean, food in general, I think is a bit like that. You know, what you like probably, I don't. It, and, it's a, it's a very subjective thing, but the thing with Michelin and what, what 
I can't stress enough is that there's no such thing as going for a star because what is what does going for a star mean? Does that mean I'm like, oh, I'm going to try really hard today to cook or I'm going to try really hard to season this or I'm going to try really hard to get a perfect cuisson on that piece of meat? It doesn't exist. Is You're either doing it at the best you can or you're not. And forever I've done it at the best I can. A lot of factors go into that, obviously, with regards to <laughs> it's like opening the can of worms with regards to do you have an, enough chefs do you how many covers have you yeah. got does everyone all the guests turn up on time and is it, it a nice yeah it, it can be obviously you, you do your part in the kitchen or well but then when it gets served you know the waiter messes it up yeah i mean that's <laughs> yeah but, but, but it's kind of like no one no one's making me do what i do you know i've chosen to work at this level I, it's me that gets my ass out of bed each morning and goes to work and drives the team because that's the level that we want to work at. If Michelin like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Mm. You know, the thing that, the, the whole thing with Michelin that I'm very grateful for and I can sleep well at night is I'm not, the, I'm not one of those chefs that talks about, oh, I wish I could get a Michelin star or I've always wanted to be a Michelin star chef already. or this is... This is cold, hard facts is I opened a restaurant from scratch one and a half years after it opened, I got a Michelin star. I was under the age of 30 when I got a Michelin star. I'm cool. It's like I've been there, done it. If I get a star again in my career and in my life, great. If I don't, hey ho. Yeah. There's more. It's almost like there's more to life than Michelin. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, a lot of chefs get very, very tied up in the whole Michelin thing and they, they can't sleep at night yeah. or they beat themselves up or they, oh, Michelin want, Michelin want 10 different breads. So they spend all morning every day making 10 yeah. different bread rolls and nine of them are shit and one of them's nice. How I'm, it's maturity, yeah. but now I look at it and I go, let's make one shit hot bread. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's consistent. It's the same every day. Do you also think that there is a trend for what they're looking for? If let's say, Let's say 20 years, I'm just, I'm just guessing here. Let's say 20, 30 years ago, they were looking for like the perfect French or perfect classic classics. Are they looking now for something else? Do you feel like this is the... Do you know what? I don't think, I think, I think Michelin, well not think, I know Michelin have diversified massively. Is if you look again, when I started out 25 years ago, every Michelin starred restaurant was white tablecloth, was crystal cut glasses, was silver cutlery, was dress plates was canapes was amuse-bouche was pre-desserts was a selection of petit fours was homemade bread and it wasn't michelin that ever said that's what you have to do it's just everyone thought that's yeah. what i need to do to get a star yeah. michelin probably the turning point i think was when um either when um tom kerridge got two michelin stars in a pub or even when he got his first star in a pub and when other restaurants of other cuisine got Michelin stars, whether it was Japanese, I mean, in, I'm talking in the, UK, in the UK. Oh, in the UK. Okay, in yeah, the yeah. UK, I'm talking about, you know, when, you know, uh, Thai restaurants were recognised by Michelin, you know, um, when Japanese restaurants got Michelin stars or whatever. Then I think people, people, chefs were like, oh, what? I don't have to have a white tablecloth to get a Michelin sight. No, you don't. It's like 
you know, and, it's a turning but, point. Yeah. yeah, but but everyone turns it onto Michelin and says, "Oh, but you said no, no, no. We never said that. You assumed that's what we wanted." You know, and now, I mean, you look at the Michelin Guide now, the diversity in there, whether it's stars, whether it's green stars, what they do now with, yeah. you know, the, the whole sustainability um, route, the Bib Gourmand with the accessible pricing and the, the recognition in that, or just being listed in the Michelin Guide. It still carries a lot of um, a lot of weight, but it's a very, very diverse guide to how it how it used to be. Um and I think that's also people's mentality was like Michelin's a, a French company, so they've always got a bias to French chefs or French cuisine. I'm talking about in the UK. Yeah. Rubbish. Do you know what I mean? You look at the Michelin Guide now, it's, you know, yeah, they've there's French chefs in it, obviously. Yeah, there's classic fine dining, classic French cuisine, classic, classic cooking. But you've got a lot of um you've got a lot of diversity in there. You know, there is another thing, the AA guide, you know, there's something that, look, I'm talking from the perspective of someone that's just questioning this, not that he's knowing. There's a different, I, I feel like, you know, my, it's just more of like trying to find something from you if, if you, if you have this information. I felt like when you get to the point, like you guys, I think are four rosettes, right? When you get to that level, it was also, it was almost kind of like known that that's equivalent of a star. How do you feel the differences the differences between the two guides, you know? Are they like massively different? How did they kind of approach this fine dining world? I think yeah. I mean traditionally, and again when I was when I was younger and when I was growing up, it was kind of like three rosettes is one star, four rosettes is two star, five rosettes is is three stars. That's how they kind of like that's how classically they looked at the merging. From my point of view, like I said, I've never cooked saying I want to get a Michelin mm. star or I'm going for a star. It's exactly the same with the AA guide. I've never said, oh, I want to get this or I want to get that. You know, I'm aiming for three rosettes or what do I need to do to go from three to four or, well, now I've got four. What do I need to do? To It's like I'm, I'm chilling. I'm cooking. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm cooking my food. If AA think my food's three rosette, great. If they think it's four rosette, great. If they think it's five rosette, great. It's up to them. I've got no control over them when they send their inspectors in, what the inspectors chooses, what the inspector thinks about what they're eating and what they've experienced. All I'd say with that, with with the with the with the two guides, is they're two completely different guidebooks. They're two completely different companies. They've got two completely different set, um, two completely different audiences is I think, you know, I'm not talking about chefs that buy guidebooks because they're in it. I'm talking about general public or people that use guidebooks as a reference point to to choose where they want to go and eat, is I think the audience for AA and the audience for Michelin is different. Um, yeah, it's one of those. I mean, they, we live in a world where, you know, there's, there's other guides as well. Good, you know, um, good, good food guide. You know, I think Good Food Guy is really influential with like normal people, you know, as in not accessible, food, not foodies that are like, you know, oh, last year I ate at 20, I did 25 stars or they've got a guidebook, you know, a Michelin guide and they're ticking off or they want the chef to sign the pages or, you know, it's like there's people like that, like obsessed foodies. 
But, you know, from a kind of like normal point of view of someone that grabs a guidebook and says, where, where shall I go and eat? I think the good food guide's really, really good. So it, listen, it, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. I know it's very easy for me to say that because now I'm like, I'm 44 years old. I'm like, I've been there, done that. I've lost sleep over it. I've celebrated. I've been, you know, it's kind of like a period of my life. So it's easy for me to sit here and be like, it's cool. I've been there and done it. But now there's like so much more to life than does your restaurant have a Michelin star or are you in a guidebook or, you know, I mean, from a, from a, from a professional point of view, from a work point of view, you know, I'm in charge of a kitchen in a multi-million pound business. It's got to work. Yeah. You know, I've got 15 chefs. Like, how do you pay 15 chefs and not have a full restaurant? It just doesn't work. There's you know? the main worry, not yeah. the, whether we've, the guide is coming or. Yeah. We've got guests that come and stay for, you know, I mean, I've got guests in house at the minute in the summer for two weeks and they want to eat something different every night for two weeks. It's like, no problem. That's the world that I'm in. So, that's more my agenda at the minute is making people happy through the through the power of food, making the owner happy through the power of running a business successfully, teaching and training and retaining staff. You know, it, it goes it goes yeah, on and on. There's a there's a lot more to my my uh, my role. my my role my work. There's a lot more to it than you know. Oh, I've got this or I've got that. You know, yeah. at, the end, at the end of the day, that's a plaque that hangs outside the restaurant or it's yeah. a plate that you stick in a case on the wall and people yeah. walk past it. And after people that walk past it, they don't actually know what it means. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you seriously, if you stopped, if you stopped 10 people in the street out there and said, what does a Michelin star mean? I reckon one out of 10 would tell you yeah. close to what it actually means. Nine out of 10 would be like, oh, I don't know. What does it mean? Was it like this? Worth, <laughs> is worth a stop or something? Yeah, yeah. How did they? Yeah. How did they? Worthy of worthy of a worthy of a journey or worthy of a detour? It's like yeah. what, do, what does that <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, if I'm hungry, I'm gonna yeah. go and find some food, aren't I? That's yeah. human instinct. <laughs> and then to be fair, you know, in certain, it can backfire as well. You know, depending on how you see it, uh, because people already have that mentality. You know, it's got to start. This is too it's too expensive. It's too fancy for us. So probably it can backfire as well, you know, if you have a star. I, I I can see that happening. I don't know, just kind of a guess here. But, you know, coming back to, to what you were saying, I don't know if you know Steve Walker. I work, I worked with him for a bit. He was head chef at Sirocco where I, when I worked there. And he was two rosettes at the beginning, and then he moved it to three. And then he was like, I had him on the podcast, and he was like, man, you know, I chased this star, you know, for a while. And I, I, I wanted to be, you know, it was a dream you know and until i realized you know happy people happy food you know i need to make sure that the customers are happy i need to make sure that the business is doing okay and then if it happens it happens if not you know what i couldn't care less and he was a lot more he felt a lot better after that pressure was a bit like released and then he just continued cooking and then is when he got the i think when he when he got the third rosette and since then He's doing it. I think he's now at the Somerville if, I'm, if, if, if he's still there. Yeah. But yeah, he did say, you know, that it's a, it's a lot of weight. If you, if you put it on yourself to think that I want this star, I really want it, you know, it's a very weird world to live yeah. in. Yeah, I mean, it's everything, 
what I'm saying about this and everything I'm saying today is is my opinion and it's 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 my story. So when I say there's no such thing as going for a star, I'm talking about that's how that's what I think. Yeah. Listen, I I sit down with chefs. I've got you know ninety percent of my friends are chefs. I've got chefs that chef friends in the UK that run in their own business, and we sit down until three o'clock in the morning over a few beers, eating cheese, and you know they're saying, "Oh, you know, I, I want this, I want that, I want to go for this, I want to go for that, I want to chase this. So what do I need to do to get that?" And you know, it, it, it it's a it's a big part of what we do. Yeah. What I'm saying, so what what you're talking about, your friend there is him saying, you know, I'm chase I'm. I was chasing this or I chased this for years or I did this. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It, it it happens and chefs have that mentality. What I'm saying for me is it's never gone through my mind and I've never ever, those words have never come out yeah. of my mouth. I want to get it, you know, like I'm chasing this or yeah. it, it, so each to their own, I suppose. Yeah. But, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're cooking, we're cooking food, you know, it's like food, foods, you your your body needs food to function, but food can be really tasty. It can be the thing I like about food is it's a it's a very powerful um, tool. It's a very powerful thing. It can you know everyone talks about dishes that they ate. You know they you remember the, the what you had on your wedding day. You remember that yeah. amazing holiday when we ate in that restaurant, and remember yeah. that you remember those prawns we had. Remember this. Remember that. It's like major moments in your life. A lot of them are defined by food. And so the power that I have as a chef to write a menu or to create a dish or to serve a dish to someone on an occasion where that that dish or that food is got the potential to stay with them forever, yeah. even though they eat it in five minutes or 20 minutes, it's like you shouldn't under, as a chef, you shouldn't underestimate that. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the beauty of what I do. Like I said, I always liked art. I see food as art. I see it kind of, as a as a medium of expressing myself, I've got ultimate creativity that I can do what I want. No one's telling me, oh, you have to do this or you have to do that or you know we must have beef on the menu or whatever it is. I can do what I want, so it's good. What's your job like? You know, okay, finishing with this uh, uh, Michelin star, we got so much insight from you. It was it was great. But moving on now, how does how does the executive chef role looks like? Because I talked, we, we had head chefs on the podcast. We had like regular chefs and all sorts of like levels from from all sorts of areas. But what does an executive chef do differently than for people that don't know? Because obviously we got people from outside of hospitality that probably they don't really know. It just sounds like a fancy kind of like job. But <laughs> what, what does it, ex- it is? <laughs> what Listen, does- I'm still I still sweep the floor. I still scrub the stoves. <laughs> I still take the bins out. It's like it, it is a it's a fancy title, yeah. you know. What's it's, the uh, difference between a head chef and an executive chef? In uh, let's just put it this way, because we're not going to go between a an executive <laughs> chef and a commie chef because there's going to be too big of a gap probably. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it yeah. kind of comes. Uh, yeah, sometimes it goes. It overlaps, as yeah. you said. I mean, I think executive chef. You ninety nine percent of the time find them in a hotel, um, because my my responsibilities is to take care of everything food related in the whole hotel. So it doesn't matter if it's breakfast. It doesn't matter if it's afternoon tea. It doesn't matter if it's a, a sandwich. It doesn't matter if it's a a, a burger served on the terrace it doesn't matter if it's someone's wedding you're going to have your wedding next year and you want to talk to the chef about what food you want like everything every every single edible thing in that hotel I'm responsible for yeah 
from and everything that goes with that everything yeah. that i need to do to make that happen deliveries, whether it's deliveries pricing. suppliers health and safety food safety is huge on allergens recruitment training kitchen porters rotors budgets making sure that the kitchen is running correctly financially as in dishes are making the right amount of profit uh menus are priced correctly you know they, there's like a million million things involved yeah. in my job an executive chef compared to a head chef is the head chef or how I see the head chef and I have a head chef so I have yeah. a head chef underneath me I was going to ask actually is they are responsible for the day-to-day -day running of the kitchen you know so they don't need to be worrying about working out food costs they don't need to be looking at invoices and working out who we're going to buy the blah from because it's cheaper from them or it's better quality from them or it's this or it's that they are responsible for the day-to-day -day running the kitchen as in right are all the chefs here <laughs> is all the produce here is are we ready for the next service and yeah. and any big issues passing them on to you i pa guess pass them on whether it's um hr issues whether it's you know, the quality of ingredient issues, whether it's, you know, yeah. anything. Do you still get the chance to cook? Because, you know, obviously having that many things on the agenda, you know, I guess you get the cooking is the fun part. Listen, when I went for the, the position at the Atlantic, I, I said, I'm only interested in applying for this job if it's, if it's hands-on. So yes, I have an office. Yes, I have to spend time in my office, but the... The, the fun part, the enjoyable part, the bit which gets me out of bed in the morning is not going and sitting in an office. It's it's being in a kitchen. And like yeah. I said, it's fish delivery arrives and I'm teaching or training a younger chef how to prepare something or how to make a, you know, we get lobsters in live, right? This is how we kill them, cook them, prep them. This is how we use the shells to make a beast. This is how we use the brains to do this this is how we make the pasta out of that this is you know like using every part it's like that's like, that's me that's that's yeah. that's what i want to do i'm still on the pass so i oh. still work. i mean again i still i still work well i work 60 hours a week which for a lot of people listening to this they'll be like shit that's a lot of hours for yeah. me that's like cool i'm like happy with 60 hours a week i remember the times i remember <laughs> yeah. the i worked for just a short period when if you, i don't know were you here when olmer was still still so i worked at olmer for for uh for i, I can't remember it must have been like seven months or so um uh, but yeah 60s i remember those hours yeah. yeah but it was like i was speaking to someone a few months ago he's uh i don't even know what he was gardener i think he was not at the hotel this is like someone i bumped into And, I, and he was like, oh, yeah, chefs work so hard. And I was like, well, you know, I work really hard, but I'm happy because I'm on a strict, you know, all the contracts at the Atlantic, we're very, very hot on hours. So, like, my contract is 60 hours. I don't work over 60 hours. Not I don't work 61 hours. It's like, no, no, no. If you're on that hour contract, that's what you work max. So I said, yeah, but I'm happy now. You know, I've got real good work-life balance. I've got a daughter. I've got my wife. I'm happy with my life and i'm super happy with my work because i only work 60 hours a week and he went what <laughs> he goes a 60 hour week 60 hour week contracts actually legal i went yeah of course they're what you're talking about he's like whoa and i was like man i was like compared to what i used to do that's nothing <laughs> sometimes some teachers like well even when i left cooking like five years ago There are still contracts, you know, where you have like 50 hours in a contract, but you do like 10, 15 extra and you don't even get paid for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So now I think, you know, contracts and everything, you know, and the, 
the kitchens probably are in a better terms. And then going back to kitchens, I want to kind of like know how he's cooking now or how was how is the life of a chef now comparing to, let's say, 20 years ago or whatever the years, 15, 10 years ago, you know, when, when, when you kind of begin. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's same shit, different day. It's like still... Let's not paint a picture about how it is going to be to be a chef, because then the if you paint a picture and it's not there, that people that, have expectations. Yeah, the it? expectations. It's not. It's not reality. So let's look at it in broad terms and black and white. Is perfect. Being a chef will always you will always work antisocial hours because you work when everyone else wants to socialize. So you have to work the weekends. You have to yeah. work Saturday nights. Over here, you're busier in the summer than you are in the winter. It, you know, it, it's like you have to work evenings. People want breakfast, so you have to get up early in the morning. It's like, so that that's never going to change. So that's kind of like, that side of it is still exactly the same. And from my point of view, it's still exactly the same that I still get super turned on about making nice food and having amazing ingredients and playing with them, essentially. I think how it's changed, or I think it has changed massively, is it's um, the kind of law around it, employment law, HR, HR, hours we spoke about, pay, everything is it's it's had to be pulled into line because back then it It was was, a bit of a wild west, right? It was wild west. It was cutthroat, you know. Like I mean, it, it was cutthroat. We could we could do a the twelve hour long podcast of me start telling stories about what I've seen over the years. But you know, back then, twenty five years ago, if someone wasn't good enough, they were told to fuck off in the middle of service, and that was it. There was no like, oh, let's have a let's have a performance review and let's do it yeah. this and blah and blah blah blah. It was like cutthroat. Now, I'm not saying that was right, by the way, but I'm saying yeah. that that was, that, was that's little- reality. That's what it, that's how it was. Nowadays how it's changed with being a chef to now is it's still bloody hard work, still hot, sweaty conditions. It's still antisocial hours. You still work a lot, you know, a 50, 55, 60 hour week contract is still classed as a lot compared to most. Well, I'm doing like 30 something normal jobs. Yeah. 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 So it's still high, It is, but employment law protects you as an employee and as an employer. Um, contracts are written for a reason that they have to be stuck to, uh, pay. I mean, for example, at the Atlantic, we're, um, living wage employers. So salaries are amazing, like amazing. You know, when, when I look back to w- what I was paid originally and <laughs> you do that, you, you make the mistake once as a, as a commie chef, you work out your, um, after you've completed your first month, you work out your hourly rate and it's like. <laughs> under, under a pound an hour and you're like okay so you're like right i'm never going to do that again but you look at you know now i mean with living wage it's yeah. it's it was it, worth it all that pain i guess get going through it till you, you got here right? yeah it was from my point of view but i'm happy what i'm more happy about is making sure that the guys that i employ aren't in the situation that i was in back then so i'm talking about like not having money to live or paying your rent and then being skint, or not being able to top up your phone because you didn't have enough money. Like all that kind of, you're not, not having money it to put petrol to in your car. from, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the way I see it, you know, sorry for kind of jumping in, 
that's why sometimes people probably think I'm mad, you know, when I'm kind of like laughing, when people, sometimes people say, you know, back in the days, you know, it was cutthroat, it was these and that, and it, it sounds bad, but I guess it got you, it made you a better person understanding, you know, what not to do, right? Yeah. Do you know what? I wouldn't, I, I'm a very forward thinking per- person. I'm not like, oh, you know, if I'd have done this or if I'd have done that, I don't regret or I wouldn't have done anything differently. I went through that. It shaped me as a person. I'm like super super strong mentally super strong physically i am where i am now but that doesn't mean there's a lot of chefs that have been through that and they're like right i'm because i was treated like that then i'm gonna make you be treated like that because you need to learn it's like that you know you just said it is i've learned the hard way and i've learned a lot of things that i would do differently and i do do differently and my management style and my management technique and my man management is like completely different to how I was managed because I know how to, I know how I felt on the receiving end of it. So now I'm kind of like, right, I'm not going to make people feel like that and I'm going to manage them correctly, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, that's, that's the way. Yeah, absolutely. That's the way it has to be. What are the challenges in your role? What are the biggest challenges? Because obviously, yeah, you, you went through like the stuff you do, which is a lot. And then, you know, I've got 60 hours. That That's a lot, you know, for like, Someone like me now, which moved into an office role, you know, 60 hours is something that you already probably start crying. I'm not at that level because I used to work, you know, 60 hours in the past, you know, being in the kitchen. But still, you know, for someone probably that never, never touch, uh, uh, never touch the professional kitchen, you know, they'll be like, are you mad? And you already yeah, said that story. Uh, so what are the challenges? The, I think the biggest challenge at the minute for me is the cost of ingredients the cost of produce is it's gone through the roof. We could sit here and talk about why have they gone up, whether it's the war in Ukraine with Russia, Brexit, blah, 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 COVID, blah, 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 blah. The end of the day, everyone sees it. You see it when you yeah. go to the supermarket and you buy a, a bag of shopping for your family is it's four times the price it was two years ago. From our point of view as, as business um, people in business is, how do we make a business work with that cost of ingredients rising? Because you can't just put your price of your menus up. Like mm. it doesn't, it you becomes know, unaffordable it for comes people up, to, yeah, yeah. you to shoot yourself, up. you shoot yourself in the foot, you know, like, yeah, you have a menu and the main course is 80 quid and people go, well, I'm not going to go there. You have an empty restaurant. So the biggest challenge at the minute for me is running a financially viable business, making the product attractive, um, sticking to my roots of, quality and consistency as well as cooking for my audience cooking for my guests the guests that come to the atlantic what what do they want so it's like you know i i love i love mackerel i love fresh mackerel does a guest come into the atlantic for dinner for their wedding anniversary do they want to eat mackerel for dinner probably no matter how fancy you make how it. fancy you make it or how fresh it is or it was local or it was this probably not yeah but that doesn't mean we can't put an amazing mackerel on the lunch menu. Yeah. So it's about being really clever in what you buy, um, running the food costs properly. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah. I, I think Is that's the biggest a big st- challenge for you. Everyone going on about staffing at the minute. Yeah. Staffing has never been a problem for me anywhere I've worked. I mean, I'm not saying I've had days where, or periods where well, I've but been like, a- understaffed. Yeah. One of my biggest, or I think one of my biggest, um, positives or biggest strengths is looking after staff and mentoring them 
you know, I see myself as a, as a good mentor, as a good teacher. And once I've got hold of someone, I'll give them everything. And it doesn't mean they work for me forever, but I know that I'll be able to get, right, you're at that level. I can get a year, 18 months out of you and you'll leave at that level. Or I can, I want you to work for yeah. me for two years or three years or five years. You'll go better and, than, than yeah. you'll, get, you'll go in a better position probably it'll be a better level than when you started yeah and i mean level levels level and titles are title and yeah you have to have progression and you're building a cv and you know that cv drops on someone else's door one uh, drops on someone else's desk you know in the future one day and you know it's it's there in paper but i'm talking about teaching skill i'm talking about teaching how to be a good person how to be a you know a good person and a good chef um but yeah i've never I've never had a problem with staffing. I mean, it's like when I moved to the Atlantic. So I moved when I moved from the UK to Jersey and moved to the Atlantic. I brought six chefs with me from the UK because they wanted to work for wow. me. It wasn't like, oh yeah, we want to go and have you a... You had your own team by the basically by the time you started. Yeah, I brought them with wow. me, you know, and it's the same. I've had other chefs that have worked for me previously in the UK. They've moved to Jersey since. I've had like, I could, you know, I could tell you couple of dozen stories of my success stories where I've had you know this kid finished college or this kid did work experience with me from college and then came to me full-time after and they left as junior sue or they left as chef de party or they've gone on to get earn their own Michelin star or they've gone on and they're running their own business they've got their own restaurant they've oh. gone and been the you know I've got chefs that work for me like I've got chefs that they worked at beef eater before they came to work for me And they worked for me for three years and they're head chefs of two Michelin star restaurants in the middle of London now. Wow. You know, like it's, it's very, it's lovely to sit here and say that. And it does, it does make me feel good about it, but I'm not, again, I'm not talking about this. This is like, this is, this is cold, hard facts. This is what has happened. So it's, it's tried and tested. And I know that if I get hold of a a young chef with the right attitude, then I can, I can but do what that. advice would you give to, let's say, well, probably 90% of the people that I had on the podcast, they'll be like, everything is good, business is booming, staff issues. What what would be your like first, let's say, two or three points? Be like, try to do this, this, and this, and you might have a chance. Well, with, staff, with regards yeah, yeah, to staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think at the minute, I mean, Brexit has been really tough for our industry. Yeah. Like, we took... You know, I look back over my career of I've worked with so many nationalities, but you go through waves of it was all European. Then it was all Eastern European. Then Brexit happened and it was like Africa. Yeah, we've gone to now you have to think outside the box. But honestly, some of the most like now I employ um, I employ Kenyan chefs. I employ um, Caribbean chefs um, Yeah, from Antigua. Um, you know, you, South Africa, you have to think outside the box. But some of those guys now, I mean, they are like the best blank canvas you can ever imagine and the most respectful, humble people that you will ever, you could ever wish for. But it's this kind of like attitude a lot of people have of like they don't, you want them to be, you want them to turn up and expect to be able to do what you want them to do. It's lazy. Like get that guy in front of you and teach him and show him or girl yeah, and say, right, this is the way I will, you know, this is the way I want it done. We have to do it this way for X, Y, Z reason. 
it's no problem. So like, is training then a big part of that? Training play, is a yeah. massive thing, but but again, I'd rather take I'd rather take chefs on as commies and demis and make them into CDPs or senior CDPs or junior sous or sous. Like, you know, I'd I'd rather do that than be lazy and pay five, ten grand a year for someone that you think's a sous chef and they come in and you just like leave them to it, give them expect them to just get on with it. So I think it's that kind of like mindset of like be resourceful. I mean, it's like people say when when I'm looking for a chef, people say, oh, what, what's the minimum requirement? I said, the minimum requirement is you turn up when you're told <laughs> to turn up and you've got a good attitude. That's the minimum requirement. I yeah. don't care about if you've worked in rosette, rich, yeah. rosetted kitchens. I don't care if you've had experience. I don't care. I mean, a lot of the guys that I've that I employed, they've never eaten in a Michelin star kitchen, let alone worked in one. It's like, you know, who cares? You got the right attitude. I'll teach you the rest. You know, but turn up, don't say no, don't say but, and just get on with it. Well, this is it. So I guess, yeah, he plays a lot on like training and being able to, and not just the like being there with them along along that journey, I guess, and being able to be more flexible, not looking for, for someone that's already like on paper, at least very skilled and everything else. Take someone that's got a good attitude, willing to learn. And then put those hours into train, and then I guess would be we would be in a better place. Is that what yeah. you yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like say? Definitely. Right. But that's I mean, you we go back to when you said what's you know what, the role of an exec chef. Yeah. I mean, teaching and training, motivating, caring for like those are huge parts of my job. You know, but would I be where I am today if my old chefs hadn't done that to me? All right, they did it in a different way, in that it was like. <laughs> do it this way or do one yeah. but they invested in me and they put the time effort energy skill teaching training into me it's my duty to do that to the chefs of tomorrow as in the chefs that are working for me now you know yeah but, that's such a nice way of, of putting it yeah and, yeah and i guess yeah more and more people could learn from these words and then try to implement that yeah. in their own establishment but again i've mentioned it before as i'm talking about in my world so i'm not this isn't me like you know high and mighty or this is this tried and tested i understand that in some restaurants you don't have as many chefs as i have i understand that it's a shit fight out there i understand that you're fighting fire i understand that if someone doesn't turn up to work and you have to phone an agency chef and they come in and they don't know what like, i under I've been there, done it. I understand all that. So, yeah. It's but it also comes to a lot to like creating that this environment where you can, where you can uh, basically rely a bit more on yourself, like in terms of like plan this training ahead, plan, you know, these guys that come in ahead, you know, probably get a bit of a hit financially, I guess, you know, but be prepared for the times when someone is thinking about moving on to a different uh, place. I don't know. I guess having someone in the back of mind all the time, probably it, it would be also a good shout, my guess. Yeah, yeah. You know? no, definitely. But I mean, again, I've had, you know, when I, I, I have turnover of staff, everyone has turnover of staff, Yeah. but I see like, right, how long can I get out of this person? That's not, it's almost not their decision. It's almost my decision because it's like, how much can I give them? And I've had conversations with chefs where I've said, it's time for you to go. Not because we've got a problem. And I've had conversations where I've said, look, I love you to pieces. I want you to, you know, if I'm being selfish, I want you to work with me forever, work for me forever. But 
you've outgrown, I can't teach you anymore. That's or you've outgrown this kitchen. It's time for you to go and do something else. And then I use my big old directory of contacts and I say, right, where do you want to go? And I've had that like multiple, multiple times. And 50% of the time, that chef will actually come and work for me again at five years down the road. Because you gave them that chance and showed them the yeah. right way. And I guess it comes back to, you know, the time when you were younger. And although you were really good in the places where you work, you, you thought at some point, you're like, okay, it's time to move on because I want to progress. And you probably see that in them as yeah. well, which is great. Yeah. I think. But sometimes people, are, sometimes people, sometimes chefs are too busy being busy that they don't look at themselves from the outside. Me looking at my kitchen from the outside, everyone is individual. Everyone's come from a different background. Everyone's at a different level. Everyone's different level of skill. Some people are better at communicating than actually, you know, like it, it takes all those little moving parts to make the kitchen unite and come together. But sometimes people are so, sometimes they're so busy just in their little world that they need me to go, right, listen, you need to go and do something else or have you thought about this or why don't we move section for you or do you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. I see that as my job is kind of like, I'm like hovering above looking down, kind of moving the pieces and going, you know, and also not being, like I said, not being selfish is like a lot of chefs out there will be selfish and like, Oh, I'm going to be in the shit if you leave. So I'm going to pay you some more, <laughs> even though I can see you're bored out your brains and you've been on the veg section for two years. I'm going to pay you some more because I just want to keep you. A lot of chefs think like that. It's like, don't don't be selfish. Yeah, be respectful, be humble to that guy, and more than likely the guy will come and work for you again in the future. Yeah, it's like it it what goes around comes around. That's, yeah. that's, we went through your journey from the beginning, so where I want to kind of like go a bit back in a way. How did you get in Jersey? Because we kind of like stopped at the point that you were talking about starts and everything else, and we kind of like got carried away with that. But you came in Jersey like 2016, 18 or something yeah, like that, six, if I remember like... Six years ago, yeah. yeah. So how, how did you end up? Here? So how it how it ended up was um, I'm a big believer in uh, fate or everything everything karma, happens for a reason, karma. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am. But um, so the restaurant that I was at, um, I've been there for three years. I was loving it, but I was frustrated with it i couldn't release i couldn't i couldn't get to my full potential there because of xyz reasons so i contacted a good friend of mine that's a recruitment agent so this was like off the record chat this wasn't me ringing a recruitment agent saying i want you to find me a job i just contacted him off the record i said i don't want you putting my cv out there i don't want you touting my name about is this is between me and you but if something comes up in the future that you think is um suitable or could be suitable for me give me a shout before it's like goes on general general sale as it were and he said he said what are you looking for and I said I don't know I said I'm looking for a challenge I'm looking for a real challenge probably a hotel because I want to take care of more than just cooking five lunches did you do hotels till that point I've done the hotels not I wasn't so my first two jobs were hotels my second two jobs were restaurants and then I returned because he's a totally different beast you yeah. know I work once you know and I'm like wow oh, yeah. not twice actually but yeah. yeah 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 it's a different it's a different mindset but the 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 reason why I wasn't releasing my full potential I think in the restaurant was because of xyz parameters but also 
you were cooking five lunches and five dinners a week. Is I wanted to have a little bit more than that. So we had this conversation when he said, well, you need to give me a clue. What, what, you know, find me a job. Give me a clue what you're actually looking for. So uh, I said, yeah, probably hotel needs to be like top, top end, needs to be food focused. Food has to be put on a pedestal in that place. I'm not going to a hotel where we're just going to be banging out buffets and that kind of thing and weddings and, you know, and he said, you'll never believe this, but this morning I had a phone call with the owners of the Atlantic Hotel on Jersey. And I was like, well, what? That's how it all started. So the day I phoned him for an off-the-record chat was the day that the owner of the Atlantic spoke to him that he had the executive chef job position going. Wow. Yeah, and this, and this, this, this friend <clears throat> who, I mean, he's a good friend. He's a recruitment agent, but... We don't. He's a good friend, but we don't talk to each other every week. We're not texting each other every day. Like, oh, what's what's around? Is like, I mean, we speak to each other every couple of months. The day I phoned him was the day he spoke to the owners of the Atlantic. So I kind of, kind of, think it was meant to be. Um, but obviously, then um, our daughter was under a year old. We were very settled where we were. Um, yeah. So me and my wife had a. A very frank and honest chat. We flew to Jersey to jumped in a hire car and drove around the island and had a had a recce and said, "Can we envisage ourselves living here?" Obviously, looked at the Atlantic. Obviously, had the interview process. Were you, and, have you been here till the till that point? You know, or it was first time in Jersey? No, when you, oh no, no, no. no. I'd never. My wife had been here once before. She'd had a girly girly weekend here. Um, yeah, but we just. It just felt right. It felt right with the Atlantic. It felt right with Jersey. It felt right with um, family, what, maybe family bringing up bringing up our daughter here. Um, but all of those, I mean, it can feel right. But still, it's a big ballsy decision to say, right, I'm going to take that job on. I mean, taking the job on is a massive thing anyway. Like you know, to to walk into an an establishment like that and say, right, yeah. I'm going to make this my own, and I'm going to you know, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, that's a big ballsy decision anyway. Uprooting your family. Our daughter, like yeah. I said, was under a year old. Because it's time. different when you're on your own. The, the risks are yeah. minimized. Listen, we've all been, when we, you know, when I was 20 years old and I moved job, I literally packed up my suitcase with my chef's whites, my knives and my PlayStation and got on to, you know, I was like, right, where am I going? That was, that was, that was my commitments was in that one suitcase. You know, it cost five grand to move our stuff here. On a, in, yeah, a, in, a in a container <laughs> I mean that's a decision yeah you know and trying to find somewhere to live here and understanding the whole Jersey process with renting and tax and you know you know you go from I mean little things but, mm. but you know you don't even think about that is you get child allowance in the UK we moved here I was like go to social <laughs> security I was like right how do I transfer my um, child allowance over here you don't <laughs> Okay, cool. We didn't think about that. You know, how do you do this? Oh, no. You know, there is... is chef life's different here as well. Like, would you say that is a lot different than the UK? I don't know about chef life as such, but I think living on Jersey for me... Life in general. That, it's life in general. Is It's that work-life balance. So again, like I've said, I still work bloody hard. I still work 60 hours a week. So it's not like I've come here for a holiday. I'm not suddenly come here and I'm working 30, 38, 40 hours a week. Yeah is I still work 60 hours a week, but the work-life balance on Jersey and the Jersey gives you, whatever the profession, is incredible. You know, it's like we, 
we live we we live a minute from the beach you know so i can have the most stressful day at work and i can go and just walk on the beach at midnight walk the dog on the beach at midnight and it's like or you work your bollocks off for five days and you're two days off you take your daughter and wife and walk, go to the beach and buy a disposable Barbie and have a beer and build sandcastles with your daughter and it's cost you 20 quid. And you do that for two days. You go back to work and you feel like you've been on holiday. Like yeah. literally from a, from, a, from a mental health point of view, that work-life balance is, I think there's very few places that you could get that. Um, so I don't think, I mean, when I'm in my kitchen... I don't think, well, wow, I'm on Jersey and isn't it different? Is it's, it's, it's different for some reasons. It's more challenging for other reasons. Hmm. Produce, you know, as in deliveries, deliveries the boat doesn't come in, placing your Christmas turkey order a month before Christmas because you want to make sure you get them, blah, 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 blah. All that kind of thing. <laughs> you got used to it by now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still have sleepless nights <laughs> running up to Christmas when boats are being cancelled and I need, you know, I've got hundreds yeah. of people for Christmas yeah. lunch and um, my turkey's stuck on a boat somewhere. But anyway, um, but yeah, I think it's just that kind of work-life balance um, plus, you know, um, happy wife, happy life. My wife's got to be happy. She's super happy. Is she happy in hospitality? Here. She was in hospitality all of her life, all of her career. And she actually started to work at the Atlantic um, with me. She was assistant GM when she, when we moved here. But then as our daughter grew up, as in got few and became more demanding. Yeah. Both of us working in hospitality was like, nah. Yeah. All, all that happened was the childcare was more expensive than, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it was like... Yeah, it was no, like, I get it, I get it. So she's actually gone into finance and she's smashing finance and doing really well. She's really happy. So she's happy, I'm happy. And what a place to bring up your kid, yeah. you know, it's like... But again, I, I work splits. I still work five splits a week and everyone's like, oh my God, how do you still yeah. work splits? A split, do you know what? A split with family life is like, is mega. Is I take my, I take, I get my, I get up in the morning. I get my daughter ready for school. I make her pack lunch, we have breakfast. I take her to school. I go to work for my first split. I pick her up from school. I spend three hours with her every afternoon doing what we do. My wife finishes work, office hours, nine to five. She comes home. We say hello, we pass the baton and I go back to work for dinner. It's like, it's perfect. If you work to... If you work a nine to five mm. with a young kid, you yeah. don't you don't see the kid, yeah. yeah okay, you see fun. them at the weekend, but it's like it's um. And yeah, even it's a nine to five, you know, sometimes can be a bit more demanding. And it's not five actually; it turns out being yeah. Well, you leave the six, office at five turns, or yeah, there's seven, a, yeah, and yeah. then by the time you get home, you're right, yeah, yeah. from certain points but, of view. But again, I've listen. I don't know any different. Is I've worked yeah. split shifts for. 25 30 years so it's deep inside yeah, yeah, you know it's like, but then also you know having your wife you know work before in hospitality i think you know the understanding is there and even when i when i work in hospitality my wife kind of moved out from the hospitality because she was working uh you know we we had some sort of like unre well it was it was understanding you know that okay i need to stay longer i'm finishing late i'm going to be probably till 11 sorry i can't make yeah. it and all that so i think that helped yeah. as well right oh, it, has, it has to you know it's like my wife's a legend you know like <laughs> she's a legend i'm of course she is i married her woman. but she's a powerful woman but you've got to have if you haven't got the right person or not i mean wife's point of view but if you haven't got the right people around you if you don't surround yourself with the right people you won't you won't be able to do what you yeah. what you want to yeah. do and especially with i mean i've used the word selfish quite a lot but 
you know, I have to be selfish. There's not many people that you're like, right, I'm, you know, I work every Saturday. I finish work at midnight. I come home like, how many, yeah, how many wives are happy to sit at home on their own on a Saturday night instead of, but she, she, we, our relationship doesn't know any different. It's cool. We yeah. look forward to those days that we're together. We look you forward to those moments together. You can enjoy a Monday together. evening or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever, and it's still, yeah, it's still, yeah. you're still kind of making work. Sunday, okay. Sunday is the new Saturday. Well, Sunday, I mean? yeah, which I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of like taking time, valuable time now from you. Okay, so we're going to move on now to the Eat Jersey uh, food uh, uh, event festival, or how, how is it? Is it festival? Yeah, yeah. Festival, right? Yeah. It is festival. Uh, that's something I'm really excited of because I remember last year, it was Michelle Rue there. You had like a like a few other guests, but then Michelle Rue was like, well, in my mind, because whenever we watch on TV, my wife, she's not really, she doesn't really watch, watch you know, cooking shows and everything else. But whenever he's presenting, he's like, this guy is so cool. Like the way he explains it, like, my God, I like the guy. And then coming from her, you know, I was really surprised, you know, because I have a kind of like a varied palette of like the chefs I like to watch. They're all sorts, you know, even from like Jamie Oliver of to whoever like P- marco pierre white and so on uh what can we expect this year well the coming so, year yeah so it's, it's 2024 it's yeah. still planning we've when was it last week two weeks ago we've announced sure why it's you happening. can obviously yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen i'm not going to be giving you any uh any absolute uh yeah no i need to be careful what i'm saying but i mean basically but do you know at this point like who's i i know because it's me that invites all the chefs oh, so, so, so the 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 unique thing about Eat Jersey is every single chef, whether it's Michelle Rue Jr., whether it's other great chefs that we've had, is their personal invites from me. So we don't contact a, an agency in the UK yeah. and say, right, we need five guest chefs and this is, you know, this is what we yeah. want. Is It doesn't work like that. It's personal relationships. It's personal invitations from me. So the chefs next year is my choice, my invitations they've accepted to me. Big name. Like- we've got, we've got, We've got we big, don't need to. You don't we've got to big be, names. The, I mean, the headline news for next year is it's happening. Um, we're extending it by a day. So we're going into Wednesday next year. So we're going Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So wow. it's an extra day. Okay. We've got two two Michelin-starred chefs um, on wow. different nights. Um, we've got five-starred chefs in total. We've got chefs that have got cookbooks out there. We've got – it's it, there's a chef that's cooking that means a huge amount to me personally in my – my life and my career so i never thought that i'd be we've co- got local chefs i we've guess got, as well we've right? got local chefs so i never thought that i'd be cooking a collaboration dinner with any of these guys let alone some of them so yeah it's going to be it's going to be mega that's so cool for jersey genuinely and i hope this year i'm going to make it because last year somehow i found that late it wasn't just the right setup i can't remember whether it was on holiday i can't remember but hopefully this year but when will be anything else announced so at the moment we've got like a um, register your interest page, so yeah, people can just get on there, register interest, and then literally it's going to go live. With we'll announce the lineup, we'll announce the format of the dinners, t- tickets on sale, and yeah, we we go go go. But it's it's amazing how much planning goes into into. I'm sure that it. that's taking a lot of those sixty yeah. hours a week, a chunk of those sixty hours a week, just to make sure that everything is going to be perfect by the time yeah but but do you know what it's good fun if, if it wasn't good fun i wouldn't do it because um it yeah it's a it's a it's a headache doing it but the the well payoff oh the payoff is well well worth it and when you i mean like you said for jersey i mean 
literally I had people messaging me, private direct messaging me. I didn't even know saying, thank you so much for doing this for our island. Thank you for bringing, you know, Genuinely, it's like, it, like it's, it's such it's, a good advertisement, not just for Atlantic yeah. or oh, no, no. That's basically what, for you. I mean, it's, it, it's for me, it's for the Atlantic and it's for Jersey. That That's, that's big. That, that's what it is. But you know, you've got people, I mean, a month after each Jersey this year, I went to France and I was, and someone like I was chatting with someone and he was like, you're the chef at Lantique. And I was like, yeah. I was like, how the hell do you, how the hell do you know? And he said, I saw on Instagram, I saw the video, yeah. you had Michel Roux cooking with you. I was like, I was in the middle of France and a guy saw it. I mean, that's the power of yeah. it. Mad. So, yeah. no, it's cool. Really good. We're gonna, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. You should come up and do some little soundbite podcasts with the guest chef. I think that, that would, would be, be cool. a good shout. Yeah. Be cool. oh, yeah You'd have to come to them because they're busy, but yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Even if he's like in the middle of it. I mean, I, I kind of know, you know, how, how to kind of like, find my way in the kitchen because yeah, uh, yeah. Probably when, not. when to talk to a chef and when not when to not, talk to yeah, him. yeah 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 <laughs> and when someone said backs like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah freeze when whenever needed yeah that'd be a good shout yeah yeah we, we can probably talk about that uh how was working with michelle rue you know it, it seems like such a i'm sure like in his restaurant which we'll get to it because it's, it's it's going to be closing down from first of january uh how is working with the guy? Is he that relaxed as he looks? Yeah, he is. is he actually, he is a cool, cool character. I tell you, he is like, he's one of the most calm, considered chefs that you'll ever meet. Like considering the standard that he operates at, considering his family legacy, considering yeah. what's on his shoulders, considering how many plates he's juggling with all of his consultancy work yeah. and all of his to to have him in the kitchen working alongside him with my team, creating some of his signature dishes that you've heard of or you've seen for 20, 30, 40 years was just like, yeah, it was insane. But he's, um, yeah, he's a smooth operator. He's a good He looks good like that, genuinely. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's almost like flowing, you yeah, know. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. like that flow, you know, in the kitchen. He looks, <sighs> yeah. No, he's cool. He's a, he's a very, very cool guy. Um, but, you know, he, again, that, that came from, I had dinner with him and some other chefs years ago and I'd had a glass of wine and he'd had a glass of wine and we'd all had a glass of wine. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him. And I was sat next to him and I said, I said, chef, what do you think about cooking a collaboration dinner on Jersey? Expecting him to say no, or I'm too busy or, you know, yeah. and he's not the sort of person that'd be like, no, but yeah. just find a good excuse basically. Yeah. And you know what? He said, I'd love to, here's my mobile number. Give me a wow. text. And from then on, he's like, you're, Such you're, a te normal you're texting like you're texting one of the greatest chefs that's ever yeah. operated in the UK. And he's texting you. Well, in the world, you can yeah. say. And he's texting you emoji kisses at the end of texts. And you're like, this is, you know, 30 years ago when I said I want to be a chef. You never think that that's going to happen, you know, and he's cool. And he's a man of his word. He came, we cooked an amazing collaboration dinner. He brought his group executive chef with him, Claude, who she was just like, amazing to work alongside her because she travels the world with him um he came with his wife he stayed for five days and loved jersey um yeah it was Has just he been around the island a bit yeah, he to went, a farm to a farm and yeah i mean he's got a deal with um jersey royals through albert bartlett uh, uh -huh. potatoes so he did some work with them but that was that was planned after my invitation yeah. it wasn't oh. like he wasn't brought here by a, an agency and then it was like oh you're going to do this isn't this he was like well while i'm here let's do some filming of the jersey royals 
Um, I organised for him to go down to our um, dairy and beef farm, Blanc Pignon Farm. So he yeah. went down there. Seen that one, yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, from them, you know, they've got one of the, a world-renowned chef stood in their farm trying their ice cream and <laughs> you know, and that video so, went like, yeah, yeah. Boom, you can yeah, say it's it was bit, viral. But listen, it's cool. It's cool for everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. You think the, the the chefs in my kitchen? I mean, one of them, South African guy, he's idolized him since he was like watched him on telly when he was that, you know, that high. How impact? How about how much of an impact have had on your team? I yeah, guess, yeah. right. Oh no, that's you know Michelle Rue walks in, and I mean half, you know, not half of them. Some of them nearly passed out. Some of them are asking for autographs, photos. He's obliging some, he's talking to some of them about their careers and what, what they've done and what they're going to do. Amazing. You know, yeah. amazing. You ever, well, in your long career, you know, because what I was going to ask, but I was so excited about talking about this part with Michelle Rue. Uh, have you ever been next to other chefs? You know, Michelle is definitely one, Michelle Rue Jr. Because I keep not saying junior and people will get confused that I'm talking oh, yeah. about, about his uh, ancestor. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely a living legend. No, no question about it. Uh, have you ever been in, uh, around other chefs and thinking that, my God, this guy, man, my other people as well, but this guy, you know, is something else. Yeah, definitely. I've had, I've had kind of, um, what I'd say, kind of like pinch myself moments. I mean, one of them was, um, it's crazy. Even it's, it's mind blowing me about to talk about it. It's yeah, like, I'm like, emotional, right. yeah. um, so I cooked, I cooked a private lunch with Marco Pierre White. So how this came about was, um, I won a acorn award, which is an award for, um, it's if you're under 30 years old and you're a huge achiever in the industry, it's an, it's an industry award. So I won this and I went to the, um, awards dinner and I was sat next to the MD of Unilever at the at the ceremony and we got talking and she explained about what Unilever is and what they do and their hot the you know the, the companies that Unilever own and she mentioned um Knorr so I was like oh Knorr how does it work with Marco and she was like oh you know Marco uh, mm-hmm. you know he's a law unto himself but it's a great relationship and everyone laughs about Marco endorsing Knorr <laughs> but it sells it and no one thinks oh my god he's a cowboy because he endorses a stock cube it actually works and he actually believes in it and we had a whole chat about marco and i said oh i'd love to cook with marco one day that that was all the conversation was yeah. that night two weeks later she emailed me saying you said you wanted to cook with marco this date be in london you're cooking lunch with him i was like what anyway long story short me and marco cooked uh, an exclusive lunch for some guests on in um on the top of uh, Kensington Roof Gardens. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but basically slap bang in the middle of London. Yeah. There's, it's basically um, gardens on top of um, the building, but it's like a zoo. They've got flamingos, One, they've got um, a wow. waterfall and rivers. It's not open to the general public. It's like the most exclusive, exclusive. venue. Like I said, waterfall, rivers, huh. flamingos wandering around and whatever. There was, they set a, it, an exclusive lunch there and me and Marco cooked the lunch. So I was told to be here on this date at this time. So I turned up thinking like, what the hell's going on? I, I didn't know the menu. I didn't know what we wanted to do. I had my knives with me. <laughs> I had a chef's jacket with me. 
And I get there and Marco stood in the kitchen and I was like, holy shit. It's like, is this actually happening? Is this a dream? Is it whatever? And I spent the day with Marco Pierre White and we cooked lunch. He explained the menu, explained what we're doing. We got to work. He was kicking my ass. <laughs> um, but we cooked this We cooked this lunch in the middle of London. Like I said, Kensington Roof Garden. It was absolutely crazy. And then... Uh, I don't know if you've read his autobiography, but anyone that's read his autobiography, Mr. Ishii is his his driver because Marco doesn't have a driving license. So Mr. Ishii is like famous in his autobiographies because it's like Mr. Ishii this, Mr. Ishii that. And uh, Marco calls Mr. Ishii and says that he wants picking up in an hour. And I was like, okay. So I was like ready to shake his hand and say, thanks for the day, Marco. And he was like, "Um, right, we're going to the pub. I was in a pub in London with Marco Pierre White. And then, I mean, now my tastes have broadened a little bit, but then I hated bitter. Like I just wouldn't drink a pint of bitter. Marco gets to the bar and orders two pints of bitter. And I'm like, oh my Mm. God. You can't can't, can't say no. So Marco Pierre White hands me a pint of bitter and me and him stood at a bar with obviously the fuss created around Marco's just walked into a pub and him just like completely blanking everyone else, just stood at the bar (laughs) sipping a pint of bitter with Marco Pierre White. And then he orders another. So we had two pints and Mr. She turned up in a Range Rover and off he went. And I was just stood in the middle of London like, fuck, did that actually just happen? Wow. Crazy. So there's moments like that, you know, where it's like, it's super crazy, um, you know, going on Saturday Kitchen with James Martin, super crazy. You never think that something like that's going to happen to you. Um, yeah, or or even chefs that you work for. Like I worked for Tom Akins in London at his eponymous restaurant. I mean, like you're, you're stood in the presence for 12, 15 hours a day of an absolute genius. Yeah. Like with genius comes madness, but to be in his presence and see him work firsthand in an environment that that is his own it's not tv it's not it's not a one off it's like it's just crazy so yeah i've had some yeah. had some moments well i mean you are in a, a dead level already you know i'm 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 kind of like honor having guests like you here and i'm sure many other people you know when they go to atlantic it's like you know what will is there cooking for me that's that's an honor already, right? Because you, you've been through all these uh, career of fine dining, you know, at the highest level. So that's that's high. You yeah, know? it's. I mean, it, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm really humble about what I do. Like I've said, at the end of the day, I just cook. Yeah. You know, it's like, yes, I've been on TV. Yes, I've. You know, I mean, it was like when I got my Michelin star, it just it suddenly just blew up. You know, I had like, I mean, nowadays you've got agencies hounding Saturday Kitchen and paying for chefs to go on to Saturday Kitchen. A week after I got my Michelin star, someone phoned the restaurant and the restaurant manager brought the phone into the kitchen and said, chef, there's some, some so-and-so on the phone. And I was like, hello. And he was like, oh, hi, it's a series producer for Saturday Kitchen. We'd like to get you on the show. I was like, what? I was like, it was crazy. You know, like I, everything that's, I've never chased, I've never chased anything. You know, it's like it I came a, to you from hard yeah, work and dedication. Yeah. I, guess. I was on, I was on Radio Four on Kitchen Cabinet with Jay Rayner. I was on like national radio. I was like, I, I had no media training. It was like, yeah, we're cool, sat here talking like now. Okay, what can go wrong? But you're <laughs> live on, you, you're live on Radio Four talking about food, and Jay Rayner's asking you questions that you've got no, you've not been pre-briefed on yeah. at all, and you're like, uh, 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 yeah, you know, like <laughs> it's, it, it's things like that's crazy, you know. 
being in magazines, being news, I mean, national food critics coming and eating your food and reviewing your food, you know, it's just, you never think that that would happen, but all of it, all of it, I keep my feet on the floor. I remain humble. And like I said, at the end of the day, I'm just cooking. I'm not like, I'm not some superstar. I'm cooking food. You need food. Your body needs food to survive. My body needs food to survive. That's all I'm doing. So yeah, that's oh, me. Nice one. Um, so we're approaching the end now. So what I what I want to ask, you know, for people that want to get in touch with you, know more about you. I don't know. Find your story, whatever. Where do they find you on social media? So um, where are you most present? Probably. To be honest, I used to be diehard Twitter. I didn't even have Instagram to be honest until three three, four years ago. I don't know when it was. Um, I was like Twitter uh, or X formerly known yeah. as Twitter now. Um, so I still dab- dabble about on, on Twitter. Um, and yeah, Instagram, I think it's just a little bit more um, relevant now in that it's a bit more kind of like... In no. the world you, you are in, I guess, is a bit yeah. more relevant, right? Yeah, I think so. But I still, I mean, I still have the little disclaimer that, you know, views are my own or whatever is it's not a professional account. It's kind of like... It, it kind of, if you follow me on Instagram, it kind of, you'll see, you'll see my life in a snapshot is it's all about uh, running <laughs> dogs, my family, my daughter and cook yeah. and cooking. Yeah. So you it's don't like, use it professionally. It's more of a like, yeah, your life as it is raw. Yeah. Yeah. Or you'll mm-hmm. go from a, you know, you'll go from a, a post about, you know, I've just had some amazing local fish delivered and I'll take a picture of it through to, I went on a run through to, you know, my daughter's just graduated from nursery or whatever it is you know yeah. so it's kind of yeah so instagram twitter um yeah that's that's me will holland absolutely pleasure it was amazing and i do like the way you kind of like came with all these information and very relaxed as well and you're an amazing person just by meeting you literally on the podcast because we didn't really know each other before yeah. but yeah you're a really cool guy no worries thanks really very much. like it thank Cheers. you thank you very much